Hello, everyone, and welcome to Full Time, where we take you around the world of soccer, locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Full Time is presented by the Game Sports Show and powered by the Game Entertainment and Media. You are listening to Season 3, Episode 2 of Full Time. I am your host, Daniel Scarpino, and with me is our co-host, Gaetano Gallo. Before we begin today's show, Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. With their two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, you can download and access the Pizza Portal app so you can enjoy a delicious, hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. We remind our listeners that recordings of Full Time occur weekly or bi-weekly, and uploads to all of our platforms for public viewing and listening occur weekly or bi-weekly as well. Welcome back to Full Time, folks. It is great to have you with us talking about the beautiful game. G, so glad to be here with you this evening. How goes it, brother? I am doing great. Scarps, how are you? I'm doing great as well, man, and I'm definitely looking forward to our discussions here this evening. In today's show, we will be talking about the Glaciers' potential sale of Manchester United, disciplinary action against Juventus, the sacking of Frank Lampard as Everton manager, the most recent news in the January transfer window, Europe's Big Five, and a review of the first leg of the Carabao Cup semifinals. As always, if anyone would like to listen to our previous content, please check us out at Full Time on the Game Sports Show. And without further ado, Gaetano, and to everyone who has taken the time to tune in here today, let's kick off. We begin today's show by talking about the potential sale of Manchester United Football Club. I'll be reading an excerpt from The Sporting News regarding this bit of footballing reality. The article states, The future of Manchester United remains on uncertain ground in 2023 after the Glazier family outlined their interest in selling the club. The U.S.-based investors have uh, investors rather have endured a controversial relationship with United fans since taking charge at Old Trafford in 2005 and confirmed in November that they were exploring the possibility of a sale. Despite an initial spark of speculation over what could happen next with the Glazier's ownership of United, potential buyers are yet to register a consistent interest aside from, in January 2023, Sir Jim Ratcliffe announcing his plans to make a bid. Still, with the Glaziers reportedly keen to sign off on any deal in the first quarter of 2023, you can expect significant developments in the coming weeks. Following initial rumors in November 2022, United and the Glaziers released a statement to address the situation, and they are open to a direct sale. A quote from the club states, The strength of Manchester United rests on the passion and loyalty of our global community of 1.1 billion fans and owners, the statement said. As we seek to continue building on the club's history of success, the board has authorized a thorough evaluation of strategic alternatives. The quote goes on to say, the board will consider all strategic alternatives. That includes new investment into the club, a sale, or other transactions involving the company, end quote. The expectation is that a lower price will be negotiated as part of takeover talks, with reports from the Financial Times estimating the club has an overall worth of around $3.5 billion, despite previous estimates over $4 billion. However, it's thought that the Glaziers want to hold out for a bid closer to $5 billion. Interest in United will continue to grow, particularly if their value drops, with rumors connecting individuals and companies with a move. The current front runners to take over include the Dubai Sovereign Wealth Fund, DWSF, and British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe, as United aimed to keep pace with neighbours Manchester City, backed by their Abu Dhabi ownership. 
Ratcliffe was linked with a takeover before uh, the Glaciers' arrival 17 years ago, whereas an offer from the DWSF would continue the pattern of state ownership of clubs in European football. Gee, it's a lot to take in, but Manchester United, as things stand, may eventually be under new ownership. It's going to be no small fee, but what are your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, I think, uh, I know the United fans have not been happy with the Glazers for a long time. Uh, it seems almost every other week that there's a, a protest of some sort uh, about the ownership there. So I think it's just similar to the Ronaldo situation. It's time to just cut the ties. You know, there's no need for it to keep going, getting more toxic. Uh, I, I am curious as to who's actually going to end up taking over. Uh, they're still uh, looking for that asking price of about four and a half, five billion there's just not a lot of people or companies in the world that can afford that. So it should be very interesting to see who ends up taking over. And speaking to the new potential ownership, what we can look at right now is how the club in the last six months has developed under the new management of Eric Ten Hag. What can you say about the club and how it's changed in this last half year, sir? I think you're starting to see uh, glimpses of what Ten Hag wants them to be. Uh, obviously, he's only been there six months. He hasn't had... Uh, more than the one transfer window and this little half one here so far uh, to really change the squad and make the changes he needs to make. But uh, you can see there's the ideas are starting to kind of click. Uh, the couple of players he's brought in have kind of uh, changed their game style a little bit. Uh, I think it'll take probably at least one or two more seasons for them to be fully uh, a Ten Hog team. But uh, I think the the beginning pieces are there and the foundation's been laid. In regards to that new ownership as well, Gaetano, I think you made the point there uh, just, just moments ago. But typically when United fans speak, the whole world hears it. So when it came time for new management, they wanted their man and Eric Ten Hag and they got it. And they've been wanting the Glaciers out, like you said, for many and many years. And I think it probably is only a matter of time. And as you said, it's it's probably only going to get more toxic. So a sale is probably imminent. But with that type of money, who knows how long it will take? But regardless of our feeling, Manchester United remain both now and likely forever as one of the biggest clubs in all of world football. And with newer and ongoing developments with this piece of footballing interest, we will keep all of you, our listeners, informed here on Full Time. From sale to turmoil, Juventus find themselves in a precarious situation, to say the very least. A matter of weeks and months ago, Juventus were in question of financial irregularities, which resulted in the entire board walking away from the club. A decision has now been confirmed by the appropriate footballing representation. The following information about to be read has been attained from ESPN. Juventus have been deducted 15 points for the current season by an Italian soccer court investigating its transfer dealings, the National Soccer Federation, FIGC. The ruling, which also deals a blow to the club's reputation, is tougher than a nine-point deduction a soccer prosecutor had requested earlier in the day during a hearing looking at the way Juventus and a number of other teams dealt with player exchange deals. With 20 games left to play this season, Juve were third in Serie A with 37 points, 10 behind leaders Napoli. The deduction pushes them down into 10th place, outside the qualifying spots for lucrative European competition. The court also imposed bans from holding office in Italian soccer on 11 past and present Juventus directors. These included 24 months for Andrea Agnelli, who was recently replaced as chairman after formally stepping down in November, and 30 months for former sports director Fabio Paratici, now managing director of football at England's Premier League club 
Tottenham Hotspur. Juventus said it would appeal the country's sports guarantee board once the reasons for the ruling were published. We consider this to be blatant injustice also for millions of fans, which we trust will soon be remedied in the next court, lawyers for the club said in a statement. Juventus have denied any wrongdoing and said their accounting was in line with industry standards. The club is controlled by the Agnelli family's XOR holding company, and its shares are listed on the Milan Stock Exchange. The ruling reversed a previous decision in April to clear Juventus, 10 other clubs, and their executives of wrongdoing. Soccer authorities had reopened the case and requested the partial cancellation of the initial decision so they could assess new documents collected by the public prosecutors in the city of Turin, who are investigating the finances of Juventus. The court confirmed the acquittal of eight other soccer clubs, including Sidias, Sampdoria, and Empoli, and their directors, for whom prosecutors had also wanted to reopen the case. Public prosecutors in Turin have requested Agnelli, 11 other people, and the club itself to stand trial over allegations of false accounting. Gaetano, we knew some form of recourse was on its way. We also knew that some form of consequence was going to be handed down to Juventus. The decision is in, and it's a 15-point deduction to Juventus, which puts a huge wrench in their plans to qualify for Europe this season, amongst many, many other objectives. We promise to keep our listeners on full-time informed on this one, and that's what we are doing here. I'll first start by asking you, G, does the punishment fit the crime? Your thoughts? Uh, I think so. Uh, Cooking your books is a huge, huge, like, that's a, like, that's, super illegal especially because they're listed on the italian stock exchange um so i think honestly i think they kind of got off light at 15 points uh and i was also really surprised that it was applied uh like immediately to this season usually those types of punishments uh carry over to the next season to kind of give the team uh a little bit of time to uh go to court and try and appeal it so i was really shocked to see that it was like an immediate 15 point deduction and going off what well, you're saying there, Gaetano, there are a lot of different opinions on this one. Some are suggesting it's too heavy of a penalty, and then there's many who are suggesting that it's too light of a penalty. And there are some folks who believe that some other form of consequence should have taken place, whether it was this season or next. But regardless of opinion, it begs a, a different question, for me at least, in the sense that how can financial dealings be better monitored and dealt with? I personally don't have the answer to this, G, but do you think that the way in which financial matters are handled in the world of football, particularly in Europe, uh, are they tight enough or should there be other regulations in place to ensure that something like this doesn't happen ever again? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because Juventus's argument was that uh, you can't, the, the value of a player can't be determined by anyone else but the club that owns that player and the market determines that price. If someone's willing to pay a hundred million for that player, then his value is a hundred million. Uh, you know, if nobody's willing to pay that only want to maybe want to pay 50, then his value might only be 50. So it's really hard. It's all just uh, judgment really. So it would be hard for any sort of uh, body to cover that and regulate it, but uh, they definitely need some sort of uh, regulation on it for sure. Yeah, some some form of regulation certainly needs to be implemented, but as you suggested, how difficult that could and is. And the reason I ask that and the reason I suggest that is because in North American sport, because full-time, the game sports show and the game entertainment and media is based in Canada and the United States, 
we don't hear about this nearly as much as we do in the world of football. And if we do, it's certainly in different contexts. So Gaetano, I guess my, my last question here would be, what do you think happens next for Juventus? As there are so many question marks surrounding this particular issue when it comes to uh, what players will stay, what players will, will go, what players will come in, etc. Uh, well, I think the first thing that they're going to end up doing is probably going to the Court of Arbitration uh, for Sport in Switzerland to appeal this. Uh, I don't know whether they'll be successful or not. Uh, I think they, a lot of their players, I don't think a 15-point deduction is killer for them. It's not like they're being relegated or uh, you know starting at zero points for this season or anything crazy like that. 15 points this season, I think they'll make it up. Uh, they might not get European football this season. But I think most of their players will probably end up staying. They're a pretty well enough run club that they should be able to afford that even without uh, European football. But yeah, I think uh, if there are, you know, some kind of 27 to 28 year old players who want to be playing European football, uh, I would expect them to leave, though. Juventus go down to mid table, a huge knock to their season and many impending decisions to be made moving forward by the club. In the Premier League's relegation battle, it's none other than Everton who find themselves in a sticky situation for back-to-back seasons. One way that this problem is trying to be rectified by the club is through a managerial change. This past Monday, January 23rd, Frank Lampard was sacked as Everton boss. Lampard joined Everton in January of 2022, one year into the job. What Lampard can speak to is that he helped the club avoid relegation last season. What matters now, however, is this season. And speaking on this campaign, Lampard has only been able to guide his team to collect 15 points from a possible 60 points available after 20 games played in the Premier League. This includes just three wins this season so far. As it stands, it is the worst victory record in the Premier League. Gaetano, Lampard is unable to hold his position as manager of Everton Football Club. Did the club make the right decision to let him go? Um, yes and no. I think letting him go was the right decision. They waited far too long for it, though. I think, yeah, given the fact that we're already halfway into the season, it might be just a little bit too late. But what I would say is that as a coach personally, and I know that you have coaching experience as well, Gaetano, I have empathy towards a situation like this because Everton is a club with let's say not the best ownership or board so Lampard was always going to to be in a difficult spot that being said the record shows that they are in serious trouble when it comes to the standings in the Premier League and with that said I feel it's only some of Lampard's fault given what has gone on at the club and what he has had to deal with but what percentage of the blame Gaetano would you give Lampard in terms of where the club is at at this exact moment? I'd probably go 50-50 between him and the board. Um, Obviously, he didn't get the backing he needed or or wanted over the summer. Uh, They didn't do much in the transfer window at all, and they've been very poor in the transfer market uh, for years now. Um, But also on his end, you know, he's got to find a way to get those players. Like, they're a team of Premier League quality players. Uh, They need to be getting better results than that. Totally agree with that. And and the percentage, to be honest, that I put it down to is 25%. Just I take a look at the way that the club has been run. And I thought, well, you know, it's probably 50% 
of the ownership to blame. It's probably 25% to the players and 25% to Lampard. But regardless, anytime a manager is sacked, he or she certainly shares some part of the blame. But the managerial search at Everton is good and well on. The likes of Sean Dyche, Marcelo Bielsa, David Moyes, and Thomas Frank have all been tipped for the job. Gatano, do any of these names, in your opinion, make a good fit at Everton, or should there be another name in this conversation? If he hadn't retired, this had Sam Allardyce all over it. Right. Um, but this is it. for me, the guy for this job is Sean Dyche. Uh, he's proved that he can uh, avoid relegation on a little to no budget, really, uh, on his time at Burnley. And, you know, he played that very solid defensive uh football the brexit 442 football if you want to call it that um but i think that's what everton needs at least for this season just to stay up and then uh they can go from there yeah i also think that he would probably be the best fit for the club knows how to keep a team up and avoid relegation like you said with the likes of burnley football club so if he comes in i think he will stabilize a lot of things and the other one like i said that was being tipped that's highly being tipped right now is marcelo bielsa so two completely different managers because bielsa will come in and play very uh, open very attacking uh, high press type football whereas sean Dyche will probably uh, be a little bit more resolute but we will certainly see what happens there and i just want to do a little bit of revision here gaetano uh, if we think back a few seasons ago it was carlo ancelotti who was managing everton and I'm pretty sure he took them to 10th in the Premier League that season, if my memory serves me correctly. And it was sort of suggested that maybe under his guidance, they could continue to progress. But at the conclusion of that particular season, uh, he, he left the club and went to Real Madrid. It almost seems, Gaetano, that this club in particular have the writing on the wall, whereby it might be a lack of support, like Rafa Benitez said, or that it's purely dysfunctional, like so many fans point to or that it's even the worst-run club in England, like Jamie Carragher said. Gaetano, do you think that Everton will avoid relegation and get back on track to being a competitive club this season, or is this going to be a downward uh, downward spiral for the club? I think if they can get Sean Dyche in, they have, they have a hope, they have a chance of surviving and staying in the Premier League, but I don't see anyone else uh, taking over and being able to guide them to safety. Only time will tell with this story. It's Frank Lampard sacked as Everton manager. And with a new manager incoming, the hope will be that whoever the new coach is, that they will look to keep the Toffees in the Premier League. Next time we are on full time, we will certainly know who the newest Everton manager is. Gaetano, let's shift gears to the transfer market. The January transfer window has been open and plenty of money has been spent thus far. There is less than one week remaining in the transfer window for clubs to buy, spend, and loan players. Gee, since we last spoke, what are your thoughts as of now on the January transfer window, given what has taken place so far? I think it's been pretty quiet, which is unusual. Uh, the last few years, the January transfer window has been pretty nutty. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, unusually quiet, but there's uh, still another, what, week? just under a week to go so anything could happen definitely and as we know in the world of football particularly when it comes to the transfer window that things can happen at the very last second what we will now do is we will take you all through some through some of the most recent transfer news in the world of football in our previous episode of full time which was season three episode one we took an in-depth look at the initial phase of the transfer window so if you missed that be sure to check it out once again, the following transfer market information that I'm about to relay has been attained from The Guardian. So if anyone is looking for up-to-date transfer market news, certainly check them out. 
Jan Sommer leaves Borussia Mönchengladbach for Bayern Munich. Sommer has been identified as an important target by Bayern. He joins for seven million pounds. Giannis Omlin moves from Montpellier to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Gladbach replaced one Swiss international in Jan Sommer with another in Giannis Omlin, who has signed a contract until 2027 for a fee of seven million pounds. Josip Juranovic leaves Celtic for Union Berlin. The right-back says, transferring to Union fulfills my dream of being able to play in one of the best football leagues in the world. He joins the Bundesliga side for £7.5 million. Maximo Peroni goes from Velves Sarsfield to Manchester City. The Argentina Youth International will join first-team training at the conclusion of the U-20 Copa America. Then he may be loaned out for next season. He joins City on £8.2 million. Mario Lamina makes his way from Nice to Wolverhampton Wanderers. The former Southampton midfielder will hope to improve the struggling Wolves. He joins for £9.7 million. Danny Ings makes a Premier League move as he departs from Aston Villa and goes to West Ham United. David Moyes is happy to secure the striker with top flight experience to help their survival bid. He joins West Ham for £12 million. Alex Moreno makes his way from Real Betis to Aston Villa. The left back now heads to the Premier League after winning the Copa del Rey last season. He joins Unai Emery's back line for a fee of £12.4 million. More business for Aston Villa as John Duran from the Chicago Fire in the MLS joins Emery's side. Villa agree on a fee that could rise up to £18 million for the promising teenage forward who is expected to be a part of the first team squad. Danilo goes from Palmeiras to Nottingham Forest. The 21-year-old midfielder vows to bring determination and desire to Steve Cooper's side. He joins Forest for £16 million. Victor Christensen departs from FC Copenhagen to Leicester City. The promising left-back has more than 70 appearances for Copenhagen and says that the move to Leicester was a no-brainer. He joins the club for £17 million. Jakob Kivior leaves Spezia for Arsenal. Mikel Arteta hails the centre-back's huge potential and qualities as the 22-year-old joins to add defensive depth to the squad. He joins for a fee of £17.5 million. Dango Oatera leaves Lorient for Bournemouth. The highly rated winger has scored or set up 12 goals in Liga this season. He makes his way for £20 million. Leandro Trossard makes a Premier League jump going from Brighton to Arsenal. The league leaders swoop in for a creative wide player who had resolved to leave Brighton and will wear the number 19 shirt for the Gunners. The fee has been agreed for £21 million plus £5 million with add-ons. Nani Madueke makes his way from PSV Eindhoven to Chelsea. The Blues continue to be busy in January with a £35 million deal for the highly rated winger who played for Crystal Palace and Spurs at youth level. Jorginho Ruder departs from Hoffenheim to Leeds United. France's U21 forward has 11 goals in the Bundesliga and completes the move for a club record fee of £32 million. Ruder says that he is very excited for what is ahead of him at Leeds. And finally, Michaela Mudrik goes from Shakhtar Donetsk to Chelsea. The Blues confirm the transfer after a late move to hijack the Arsenal deal, paying an additional £70 million for the rising star. Gaetano, these are some of the bigger deals that have taken place as of recent in the January transfer window. What are your thoughts on these moves? Uh, it's been nothing too crazy besides the Mudrick move. That uh, just that one blows my mind. I don't see that one at all. Uh, but I do like Arsenal going for Leandro Trossard, uh, Premier League proven. You know his quality. 
and it's something Arsenal's kind of lacked is a bit of depth there. So I think it's been a pretty good transfer window. Yeah, the Mudrik one certainly caught me by surprise, given all the things that were happening on social media. Mudrik was posting things on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram stories, and every indication pointed to that he was going to join Arsenal. But when the money came in from Chelsea, it was a, a last-second thing that certainly took everybody by surprise. Now, not all moves that we just discussed there, Gaetano, were explicitly stated. Were there any that have been left out that caught your attention specifically? Um... Not that I can think of, no, unless I'm missing a big one and I'm a bit of an idiot here. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on that. There's nothing that came across my eyes or came across my ears and the things that I've listened to pretty much. Like we said, I think the Mudrick deal was certainly the big one. Arsenal getting Trossard was, was certainly good. And the fact that Chelsea has been doing a, an insane amount of business has been there. But yeah, I don't think that there has been too much. And I think I know the answer because you've pretty much already said it, but uh, apart from Mudrik, has, has there been any other uh, transfer in your eyes that really was surprising to you or you thought, oh, that person's going to be a game changer? Uh, actually, uh, Canadian international Kyle Laren uh, just transferred from Besiktas to, I want to say it was Villarreal. He's transferred to the, the Spanish league. Uh, forgive me for not remembering what club it was. Uh, but that one did catch me by surprise, but it is a good step up for him. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's certainly a good thing for him as he has been impressing in the, the past little while, not just at international level, but at club level as well. And we know that being active in the market is often a good thing for clubs, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything by way of performance, results, or trophies. That being said, with six days left in the market, G, who would you say has done the best business in the month of January thus far? Best business... It's hard to look past the Trossard deal in uh, in the Premier League. Um, there hasn't been much other than Chelsea's uh, stuff, which I haven't been uh, too keen on. I think the Mudrik is just a, a massive waste of money, that move. Um, and then there hasn't really been a lot of other movements, so I'm going to go with Arsenal right now. And it's certainly a good thing to that you say that, at least in my opinion, as an Arsenal fan, because if you remember last year in the January transfer window, Arsenal spent a total of zero so it's certainly a, a much different January than uh, one year ago and we reiterate the fact that there is less than one week left in the market and in the world of soccer that is a lot of time for deals to be done before the window closes certainly there will be more events to unfold and we will keep you up to speed with the most relevant and recent updates in the January transfer window as they happen this is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo and you are listening to full time on the game sports show a reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious, hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Folks, we will now delve into Europe's Big Five. As is often the case, we start no further than the English Premier League. Gaetano, the table is looking pretty intriguing right now, but more than that, the football that has been played since the World Cup has been fascinating. Your thoughts on the Premier League, sir? Yeah, it's been uh, back to its crazy self. A uh, lot of uh, phenomenal games in the last couple of weeks. Some uh, surprising results, some big results for uh, both of our clubs, Arsenal and Manchester City. Yeah, it's been great. And taking a bit more of an in-depth look at the table, it is Arsenal who are five points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand. Chasers Manchester City are in second place. Newcastle and Manchester United remain level on 39 points to hold third and fourth respectively. 
and the other European places, it's Tottenham, Brighton, and Fulham who are just outside the top four. Let's talk a little bit about the title race here, Gaetano. Both of our teams right now uh, are at the top of the table at one and two respectively. Arsenal, by all accounts, have been having a really good season. Manchester City, as we know, are also just right there. What can be spoken about in many respects is that it's really fine margins when it comes to the title race. And in some cases, these fine margins are determined by VAR decisions. And we saw that uh, really in the in the Arsenal and Manchester United game just this past weekend where the final goal in uh, pretty much the, the last minute of the game went to a VAR decision. But, G, what are your thoughts on the title race and your opinion specifically on the implementation and decisions of VAR? So I think this title race, uh, it's one of the better ones we've seen in a, in a long time. Uh, I've, I've always liked Arsenal. Like, not that I, like, I'm a fan, but they've always just been, like, a very good club, like loved Arsene Wenger, like just, they were great. So this title race, uh, the fact that United and Liverpool aren't involved is great too, because I don't like them. <laughs> right. Um, so I think the race itself is great. Uh, I see it going down to, you know, potentially the last minute of the last game this season. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I think it's going to keep uh, kind of going at that pace. VAR, I just want to, I'm going to start this by saying I'm a, I, I'm back VAR. I think uh, football needs it. Uh, it's a good step forward. However, it does need to be changed in its implementation. Um, so there's been a couple of decisions recently. I'm going to go to the Manchester Derby two weekends ago, uh, City and United. Uh, with City up uh, 1-0 late in the second half, uh, I think it was Marcus Rashford uh, was in an offside position when the ball was played to him. He shields the ball from the Manchester City defender and his teammate Bruno Fernandes scores uh, directly from it. Obviously should have been called offside. You know, anyone who knows the rule knows that that is offside. Um, yep. And the referee goes to VAR, quick check, gives it a good goal. Uh, United take that momentum, end up scoring uh, a late winner. And I'm not, I don't ever want to blame a ref, uh, you know, for a poor result because City should have had that game uh, sealed off way before then. Um, but it's frustrating when, uh, as a fan, you don't get the transparency of, you know, why that decision was made. Like, what did the VAR, like, because obviously VAR, uh, they contact and say, hey, we need you to have a look at this. We think you've made a mistake. Um, and we don't get to hear the reasoning or anything. Like, there's no, there's nothing after the game. At least the NHL, they, uh, when they go to video review for stuff, they, after the game, will put out a statement saying, this is why this decision was made. The NFL, uh, I give them a lot of credit for this. Their referees just stand in the middle of the field and tell everyone exactly what is going on and why it happened. That's great. Yep. Um, but actually, in the Australian A-League, uh, on the broadcast, they will, like, actually, you'll actually hear the uh, discussion between the video assistant ref and the referee on the field. Um, I think this is just, the Premier League needs to implement this as soon as they can. Uh, it just provides that transparency. and it, it's so frustrating as a fan, you know, if the ref had come out and said, this is why I didn't call it. This is why it's a good goal. Like you, I can disagree with it, but at least they've owned the decision. They've taken that and they've told us and it's fine. It's better than just, you know, they do the, the VAR square point to the circle and that there's a goal and that's it. Um, and then the, on the other side, you have the Arsenal goal against United, which they did get right, you know, and for the most part, VAR, does get it right um 
but it's just frustrating when they don't because they just don't tell they don't tell the fans why. And I think the fans deserve to know that. I think the teams deserve to know that too. And yeah, so I think there's always room for improvement for VAR, and I think that is the next step for it. Well, you hit on so many great points there, Gaetano, and the first bit about the title race. I think it will be a fantastic title race. I don't know if it's going to live up to the hype of the Manchester City and Liverpool title races we've seen the past few years, but perhaps it will, and it's one of those things where time will tell if uh, both of these sides, particularly Arsenal, can keep their form and if Manchester City can hit stride here moving forward. But in regards to VAR, I've been also saying it for years that VAR in and of itself inherently is is a fantastic thing. It helps get decisions correct. It helps referees. And let's be honest about it, and I can admit it as a referee as well, personally, that oftentimes we do need help on the pitch. So it is definitely a good thing. But you say a word time and time again, I think that's so impactful. And you say the word uh, transparency. And oftentimes with these VAR decisions, yes, we see it on screen, but we have no actual clarification because nothing's being told to us as fans as to why the decision was made. So if I even think back to the the 2018 World Cup, I thought to myself, well, how many decisions they got right there? That was fantastic. And then they went to the Premier League and it was a case of, well, why aren't they implementing it in the same way? But I do believe very strongly that the next step is going to be that something is said, whether it's on camera to the fans or, or, or after the game, because there needs to be some form of explanation. Players are held accountable. Coaches are held accountable. Referees also need to be held accountable. And I think hopefully one day we do get into a position where we, we think back to the goal line technology uh, you know, that was never a thing in the past. And now we look back and we think to ourselves, how did we never have goal line technology? If it's a goal, we need to understand it's a goal. So maybe it'll be one of those things that we look back on in time and say, how wasn't there any sort of transparency on referees decisions before? Hopefully we're able to see that in, in the not so distant future. And just shifting over a little bit here, Gaetano, we can now officially say that half of the Premier League season is done. For folks who might not be aware that the Premier League consists of 20 teams, these are the best teams in England, and each team plays each other twice, at home once and away once. So that's a total of 38 games in the league. So after 19 games, we see the table for what it is. G, is the table what you expected it to be halfway through the season, or did you expect something maybe a little different? Um, I'd say it's like 50-50. Like I definitely expected Arsenal, Man- Manchester City, United, Spurs to kind of be in those European places. Uh, I definitely didn't expect Newcastle, Brighton, or Fulham to be in that mix at all. And I also didn't expect to see a team, teams like Liverpool and Chelsea sitting mid-table at this point. Uh, that's the big one for me right there is uh, the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea being where they are. Again, it's football. We say it on full time all the time in the world of football. Anything can happen. But uh, I did not expect those two sides to be where they're at. That's the, the big shock for me this season for sure. And as we get ready for the second half of the season, just how competitive do you expect this top four race to be? And specifically the title race. I know you've already said as well about the, the title race going to last, uh, the last day potentially. But uh, what, what do you really think about the top four, G? Uh, yeah, so like I said, the title race, I, I expect it to be, a, you know, match day 38. You know, me and you not talking the, the entire day for that <laughs> one, for sure. Um, I, I really like Newcastle I I, there's something about them I think they're going to stay in the top four and they're going to play Champions League football next year which is going to be phenomenal I I can't wait to see St. James Park uh, lit up for European nights again Uh, United and Spurs I I don't trust them to stay uh, in European places right now especially the way Brighton and Fulham have been playing they could easily overtake them 
Uh, and yeah, and I don't expect uh, a team like Liverpool or Chelsea to be able to mount uh, a challenge for European football at this point. And sometimes, Gaetano, we see the table at the halfway point, we think, and generally gauge some level of understanding for what the second half of the season might look like, although we don't know what anything in the future is going to look like in life. But that being said, it always seems like there is one or two teams who, who somewhat have a, a bit of a resurgence, if you will. Is there any team right now outside of the top four that you believe will make a big push for the European places? <sighs> I don't think there will be a push for the European places. Uh, I think, I think those the the type of team that's going to be in there, the you know United Spurs at this point, Brighton and Fulham. Uh, I don't think Brent, Brentford has the depth uh, to make that kind of push right now, and I think Liverpool and Chelsea are too far off. But I do expect to see a team like West Ham do something in the transfer market in the next uh, like less than a week here, and they might not push for European football, but they'll definitely push themselves out of the relegation zone and comfortably into mid table. Yeah, I think that West Ham certainly will, will start to hit some form of stride. And like you said, probably not European places, but certainly to get out of a place that we didn't expect them to be in. And on the other side of that, G, do you think that there's anyone who are currently in the European places that will fall out of the race? You, you mentioned there you don't expect United or Spurs to stay in there. I personally feel like United will be in and around the Europa League spots. I'm not sure about Spurs because there's a lot of discontent there with Antonio Conte. But do you think that anyone's in there right now? Maybe a Newcastle if, if they can't score enough goals? Or is it maybe a Fulham? Is it maybe a Brighton? Do you think any of those te teams are going to really fall out of this race? Uh, you know, unless, unless something catastrophic happens, I don't think so. I think they'll be in there at least till kind of the 34, 35 game mark of the season. And obviously if it gets to that point and they kind of fall out just mathematically, then so be it. But I think they'll at least push to that point. And the only other thing I can point to is that I just almost feel at some point Chelsea's going to make some kind of push, at least for your Europa League spot or maybe uh, Liverpool as well. It just when you look at the table to see them where they're at, it just doesn't seem or feel right. But again, the teams that are above them certainly deserve to be there, especially Newcastle. They've been doing some fantastic, fantastic stuff this season. Taking a look at the bottom of the table now with Southampton on 15 points who are in the last place based on their goal difference. Everton hold 19th and are second from bottom, also with 15 points, but hold a slightly better goal difference than Southampton. Bournemouth have dropped into the bottom three with 17 points to their name. Just outside of the relegation zone, it's Wolves with 17 points, West Ham, Leeds, and Leicester all have 18 points. Gatano, we talked about this, and we will talk about this uh, many times moving forward, but we have right now seven teams who are all within three points of each other, which in footballing terms, that's just one win. One victory can pull a team out of short-term trouble, whereas a loss can certainly keep them there. What are you making of these teams at the bottom of the table right now? It's just like a bunch of dumpster fires, really. <laughs> and like, it's just which dumpster fire is currently like worse. And Southampton have just been awful. And I really don't want to see them go down. Uh, I, I like them as a club. They've produced some great talent over the years. But I think maybe they need it, um, you know, to go down, reset, you know, get a, a new group of young players uh, to kind of take them back to the Premier League. Everton entirely depends on what uh, the managerial situation is. Like I said earlier, Sean Dyche, I think, can get them out of this. Anyone else, it's a it's a big ask. And Bournemouth, I fully expect them to go down as well. 
Yeah, right now, if I had to pick one side to go down, I would say Bournemouth for sure. I'm not entirely sure about the rest because everything, like we said, is all within quite literally one game. One win can pull you out and uh, a loss can certainly keep you there. So we talked about it a couple of weeks back, Gaetano, and I really am amazed by the relegation battle this season in particular. Typically, things really start to heat up in the second half of the season at both ends of the table. But uh, every point when you're at the bottom, as you know, it matters. So when a team can pull a result and and just get a a, a nil-nil draw, that could be really significant. But as it stands, who has been sort of the best of the worst, in your opinion, when it comes to the bottom of the table? I mean, they've all been pretty bad, but I'm going to go with Leeds. Um, I like Jesse Marsh as manager. I, I like the fact that he is stuck to his principles. He's not uh, faltering and changing and trying to, you know, out of survival, just try and staying up. He's sticking to his guns um, and they're playing. They usually do play very good football. They just haven't been very lucky with the results. And I think, uh, yeah, if I had to pick one of them, I think Leeds is probably, probably my favorite over there. Yeah, and actually, it's been as of late that Jesse Marsh has taken some flack in the media that I was seeing. And uh, to quote him, he said that it was total BS that he, uh, players were challenging him in the locker room. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on at Leeds, but they actually have done some decent business this transfer window. So to be honest, I expect them to stay up. I don't think that they're going to stay up by much, but I don't expect them to be relegated by any stretch of the imagination. And just for context, in our last episode of Full Time, we were talking about Nottingham Forest being in the bottom three. Today, as we record, Nottingham Forest are in 13th place. This is just how quickly things can shift and change in the Premier League when it comes to the relegation battle. So it's absolutely fascinating, in my opinion, to put it mildly. Premier League games will resume once more on Friday, February 3rd, where Chelsea and Fulham will kickstart the weekend fixtures in a West London derby. Moving things along to Italy's Serie A, it's Napoli cruising at the top of the table with 50 points. Milan, Lazio, and Inter complete the top four. G, halfway through the Serie A season, and it's looking like it's going to be Napoli's year. Is there any reason to think otherwise? I I got nothing for you. They are just, they're phenomenal. They're playing such good football. Uh, you know, a 12-point gap at this point of the season. It's not over, but like, it's it would take a monumental collapse for them to not uh, win the Scudetto this year. I'd agree with that. And a collapse to which we probably haven't seen, or at least uh, that I can remember when you have that sort of lead at the halfway point, you just don't see a team falter uh, when they're in that position. And I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday who is a Milan fan. And the general consensus seems to be that it will be Napoli's year, but he did admit that he didn't think that they would do as well as they are this season. Are you, Gaetano, super surprised at the way in which they've gone about their football this season? Because they have been sensational. And I have to admit, I thought that they'd be around uh, the top four, maybe in the top four. I didn't expect them to be doing this good uh, throughout the season. No, like definitely not, especially uh, considering the departures they had before the season. Uh, Khalidou Koulibaly, Lorenzo Insigne being the big two, really thought they would, you know, be in that kind of top four, top six, like they kind of always are. Uh, but yeah, 50 points halfway through the season's uh, incredible. On pace to what will be in their uh, in their estimation a uh, historic season for sure. 
Taking a look at Spain's La Liga, Barcelona lead the pack, holding a three-point cushion over Real Madrid. Real Sociedad are solid in third place, with Atletico Madrid and Villarreal battling for the fourth position. Gatano and Barcelona hang on to first place for the time being, but are things steady for them at this moment in time? I keep, every time we like discuss this, I keep saying that, you know, they'll, they'll falter and Madrid will, you know, hit that run of form and take over, but they still haven't. And Madrid still haven't kind of hit that run of form. So if Xavi can get lucky, you know, they might be able to pull this one off. And Xavi has been pressured in the media, at least in the conferences and the quotes that I've been seeing from him. So if he can keep a steady head and keep his players in line and the players can keep producing some of the football that they've been playing, I think, uh, you know, Real Madrid, they can hold them off for certainly a little while longer. The Bundesliga in Germany sees Bayern Munich remain at the top of the table with a five-point gap. Frankfurt, Union Berlin, and SC Freiburg hold down the remaining top four positions. Gaetano, it's probably only a matter of time before the gap at the top widens, but have Bayern been as impressive for you this season as they normally are? No, I think they've kind of faltered this year, and they've had some injuries, like the Neuer's injury was a freak, it was a skiing accident, I think. Like, that's obviously going to affect them. He's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, but yeah, I do expect at some point uh, in the next few weeks, they'll kind of hit that run of form and just start rack- racking up the wins and uh, make the gap a lot bigger than it is right now. And how intriguing it is that you can have a team who maybe isn't at their best or nearly as good as we see them in previous seasons, and they're still relatively comfortable at the top. They are an impressive side in what is a pretty competitive league. And in France's Ligue 1, it's PSG who remain top, but only by three points. Lens are on their tails in second place. Marseille and Monaco currently occupy the remaining top four positions. Gatano, PSG are being pushed, but will they just continue to bend a little bit? Or are they there to be had? Uh, I don't know. They've got uh, two losses in their last three games. So the results have not been great recently. Uh, I don't think they've done a lot in the transfer window to strengthen or even to, to weaken themselves. So I, it's a tough one. But like it's hard to back or it's hard to not sorry hard not to back a team uh, with Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe in it. Yeah, you'd fully expect them to at some point maybe come February, March, starting to pull away. But again, it's football; anything can happen, and I'm sure that their focus will be uh, on the Champions League. To domestic cup competition, the Carabao Cup semifinals have begun. The competition was first held in 1960, formerly known as the League Cup. Over 60 years later, we see just how prestigious this cup competition still is. In the semifinals of this particular competition, it is played over two legs. Gaetano, how much did you enjoy the first leg of these semifinals? So I definitely enjoyed uh, Newcastle's victory yesterday. Uh, I thought that was a great game. Uh, It was a great goal by uh, Jolinton, who's having himself uh, a great, great season. Uh, Today's result, not a big fan, but... uh, was pretty standard for United over Nottingham Forest. And speaking to those results, it was Southampton and Newcastle that we examine here first in the first uh, game of those semifinals. And in the first leg, it does go in favor of Newcastle by a score of one to nil. The man that you just mentioned, Joel Linton, found a winner in the second half as Southampton had a player sent off. Gaetano, it's Newcastle with yet another win. And more definitively, for me at least, it's another clean sheet. Bit of a two-part question here, G. What are your thoughts on this game specifically? And just how good has Newcastle been from a defensive perspective, not just not just on the day, but throughout the entire season? 
pretty pretty standard win for them. They should be beating Southampton. They just have uh, much more quality in their squad. Um, and the game played out that way uh, pretty much exactly as it should have. And yeah, New- Newcastle's defense, it's not... Um, it's not a very star-studded defense. Uh, Kieran Trippier, Fabian Schaar, Sven Botman, and Dan Byrne uh, with the starting back four with Nick Pope and goal. Uh, like, it's not, you know, it's not a star-studded team. It's not, uh, there's not, like, superstar players in there, but their commitment to playing defense the right way, uh, really committing to that system has been phenomenal. And as a unit, they're just great. One of the best in the league. Yeah, as, as a team unit, when they defend cohesively with uh, 10 men behind the ball, they're almost impossible to break down, it seems. So typically when, when a team can, at least talking about it from a Premier League perspective, if you can not concede goals, then you're probably going to be in, in a good position to fight for some good things come the end of the season. But it'll be on the other end of the pitch that hopefully, from a, from a Newcastle perspective, they'll be able to convert some goals. But definitely a good first win for them in the first leg of this competition. And in the other semifinal, Nottingham Forest saw Manchester United between a player in red-hot form and Marcus Rashford, a player's first goal for Manchester United and Woot Weghorst, and a player with ultimate consistency in Bruno Fernandes. It ends in a commanding 3-0 victory in favor of United. Gatano, I know your thoughts on this game specifically because it is United, and I, I'm not a particularly huge fan either by any stretch of the imagination, but what are your thoughts on this result? Yeah, I think... Um... 3-0, I think, is uh, a little favorable uh, for United. I, I don't think they played overly great, but uh, they definitely did deserve the win. Uh, yeah, Nottingham Forest just they didn't show enough in this one, I don't think. And now with this sort of advantage going into the second leg, do you feel that there's any way back for Nottingham Forest, Gaetano? Uh, I never want to say never, but uh, I, I don't think they have the quality to pull that back. Especially, I'm pretty sure this game is going to be at Old Trafford, if I'm correct. Second yeah, this leg. yeah the second leg will be at Old Trafford. And yeah. uh, the second leg of this competition semifinals are set to go next week. And I think I do know the answer here, but who do you fancy as the two teams that will go through to the final, Gaetano? Uh, so I said it in our last episode, and I'll say it again. I do believe it will still be Manchester United and Newcastle United in the final. Uh, those are the exact two teams that I'm going for. And if the first legs were any indication of what's to come, I think we'll be both spot on. The second leg of these semifinals do, in fact, take place next week on Tuesday and Wednesday, January 31st and February 1st. In our next show of full time, we will have uh, or sorry, we will endeavor rather to, to take you uh, through the results of these ties and see who advanced to the final of this competition. This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo, and you are listening to full time on the Game Sports Show. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious, hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Full Time. As we wrap up today's show, we want to thank you and take the opportunity to extend our deepest uh, appreciation for each of you. Your support of the show is what keeps us creating the content that you love to hear. G, as always, an absolute pleasure, my friend. Yeah, it was uh, a big, big uh, couple weeks of football, and I'm uh, always glad to talk uh, talk about it with you. Definitely. A reminder to our listeners that the next episode of Full Time will be recorded the week of February 6th, 2023. In that show, we will wrap up the January transfer window, along with keeping you up to speed on several other items in the world of football. For weekly content, make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe to all platforms of both the Game Sports Show and the Game Entertainment and Media. 
on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Podbean. Be sure to check out our website at www.thegamesportshow.com. That's www.thegamesportshow.com. For Gaetano Gallo, my name is Daniel Scarpino, and thank you for tuning in to Full Time. We look forward to seeing you at kickoff next week, back here on the Game Sports Show and the Game Entertainment and Media. Best always.